This week, Judge John Dorsey takes under advisement Mallinckrodt debtors' renewed request to assume pre-petition reimbursement agreements for RSA-backing unsecured creditors. Judge David Jones confirms Chesapeake plan. Feral Gas Partners LP files for Chapter 11. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments on high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. Later, Credit Research Director Mark Fisher will review Ashford Hospitality Trust, and he'll also discuss how some other REITs have worked lately with financial institutions. It's Sunday, January 17th. At a hearing on Thursday, Judge John Dorsey took under advisement the Mallinckrodt debtors' renewed request to assume the pre-petition reimbursement agreements of the unsecured creditor groups that support the RSA. The debtors maintain that payment of the group's expenses from the estates is essential to maintaining the cooperation of opioid claimant groups and note holders, and have suggested that denial could result in termination of their pre-petition RSA and $1.6 billion opioid settlement. Judge Dorsey will rule on the motion at a hearing on Tuesday. The Mallinckrodt debtors' motion to assume these agreements is the second such. In a December 14th ruling, Judge Dorsey denied without prejudice their first request. The hearing kicked off with live testimony from Randall Eisenberg of Alex Partners, the debtors' restructuring consultant and financial advisor, who submitted a declaration in support of the request. He asserted that payment of the RSA party's fees is critical to Mallinckrodt's restructuring efforts, and to bolster his point, said that since the court's December 14th ruling, quote, activity has virtually come to a standstill. There's been an unwillingness to move forward with the mediation process. On cross-examination, counsel for the objectors challenged him on this point, asking about recent work completed by the RSA party's advisors, and questioning him on whether he had received specific confirmation that counsel for those parties were reluctant to work on the case. Also on Thursday, Gibson Dunn and Troutman Pepper, as co-counsel to the Mallinckrodt Ad Hoc First Lien Term Lender Group, submitted a second amended Rule 2019 statement disclosing holdings of $1.5 billion as of January 14th, up from a previous Rule 29 statement disclosing $1.4 billion in holdings. Silverpoint Capital is the group's largest holder, with $231 million of First Lien Credit Agreement claims, followed by Eaton Vance with $219 After 12 days of trial and over 10 hours of closing arguments, Judge David Jones on Wednesday confirmed the Chesapeake Energy Debtors' fifth amended plan, ruling that the, quote, cram-down plan does not, quote, discriminate unfairly, is fair and equitable, and otherwise meets all requirements for confirmation. In overruling objections launched by the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors and other parties, the judge stated that the $5.1 billion, approximately $1 billion higher than the debtor's proffered plan value and $2 billion lower than the UCC's, is a, quote, opinion of fair representation of value, and that the unsecured creditor classes 6 and 7 are, quote, equally unhappy, which is an appropriate outcome. Contrary to the UCC's assertions in support of its motions for standing to pursue alleged fraudulent conveyance claims and lien challenges, Judge Jones said that the lender compromise embodied in the plan is, quote, absolutely thoughtful and designed with the interest of the company first. 
In response to the ECC's allegation of, quote, sleight of hand with respect to the dip roll-up and payoff that it asserted would cause a, quote, massive reallocation of unencumbered value to the benefit of FLO and second lien lenders and to the detriment of general unsecured creditors, the judge remarked that it was, quote, offensive to hear those allegations without any offer of proof of such behavior. Feral Gas Partners LP and Feral Gas Partners Finance, non-operating affiliates of the Overland Park, Kansas-based propane supplier Feral Gas LP, filed Chapter 11 petitions on Monday morning reporting $100 million to $500 million in both assets and liabilities. Feral Gas LP, the operating subsidiary, did not file, and the debtors are pursuing an out-of-court restructuring of three series of notes issued by Feral Gas LP concurrently with the holding company's Chapter 11 case. According to the debtor's disclosure statement, Feral Gas LP intends to redeem those notes by issuing approximately $525 million in new senior preferred units and approximately $753 million in new Feral Gas LP notes. The debtors have indicated that the Chapter 11 restructuring and the Feral Gas LP restructuring are contingent on one another and must close by May 1st, the maturity date on one series of Feral Gas LP notes. The prepackaged plan filed by the debtors on Monday morning is consistent with a December 10, 2020 transaction support agreement with holders of about 76% of the principal amount of the $357 million of Holdco 2020 notes. Those constitute the bulk of the debtors' liabilities aside from guarantees of Feral Gas LP debt. Solicitation of the proposed prepackaged plan began on December 21st. According to the disclosure statement, the plan would leave unimpaired all claims except 2020 Feral Gas Partners LP notes claims and existing Feral Gas Partners LP interests. Holders of 2020 Feral Gas Partners LP notes would receive 100% of new Class B units in the reorganized debtors with an estimated recovery of, quote, up to 62% based on a midpoint estimated reorganized enterprise value of about $245 million with a range of 2 to $488 million. At a first-day hearing on Tuesday, the debtors received all requested relief, and Judge Mary Walrath on Wednesday entered an order approving the debtors' confirmation timeline, including a February 19th combined hearing on confirmation of the prepackaged plan and final approval of the disclosure statement. Also on Wednesday, Davis Polk, along with Morris Nichols, Arsht, and Tunnel, LLP, co-counsel to the ad hoc group of consenting holders of the 8.625% Holdco senior notes due 2020, filed the group's first Rule 2019 statement, detailing holdings as of Tuesday, January 12th. Collectively, the seven-member ad hoc Holdco note holder group holds $297 million, or 83%, of the 2020 Holdco notes. PGIM is the largest holder with $245 million, Standard General is next with 32.7. On Thursday, Judge Laura Taylor Swain reserved decision at the conclusion of oral argument on the Promisa Oversight Board's motion to dismiss Monoline Insurer Ambach's lawsuit, challenging the constitutionality of Promisa on the basis that the law violates the uniformity requirement of the U.S. Constitution's bankruptcy clause. Judge Swain admittedly, quote, refrained from participating in the arguments on the whole. Judge Swain queried if the court on the whole were to take Congress at its word and extend the statute to similarly situated territories that request an oversight board. Does that language, quote, 
funnel the threshold question of what makes a territory similarly situated to merit an oversight board back to Congress so that Congress is making a determination of whether a particular territory is eligible? Is all the court doing taking up the Congress's invitation to open this line back to Congress rather than having the court determine who is similarly situated? A flurry of bills filed in the new popular Democratic Party-controlled Puerto Rico legislature included measures to define essential services, amend Act 5 of 2017, which is the Puerto Rico Fiscal Emergency and Fiscal Responsibility Act, and launch legislative probes of Luma Energy's contract to take control of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority's transmission and distribution system. Top red stories last week included Garrett Detter's pivot to Centerbridge Oak Tree proposal in lieu of KPS-based plan, includes global settlement of Honeywell spinoff claims to file amended plan by January 22nd, Hertz seeks approval of extension and modifications to July 24th interim resolution of master lease disputes. And Belk Crossholder Group working with Wilkie Farr as certain lenders sign NDAs to discuss potential balance sheet transaction. Next, here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. From the sunlit plains of South Texas, we're currently battling a cold breeze from the north, but I don't think that's going to last much longer. Anyways, it's a holiday-abbreviated week, not a lot going on, with the fun beginning on Tuesday, the 19th, with Southland Royalty, an oral ruling on class-related issues and a bench ruling in Malincrote on reimbursement. Also on Tuesday, Netflix. There's earnings in a conference call. Could be of interest to movie theaters, knows it on them. And on Wednesday, January 20th, there is a settlement hearing in Avianca. In Hertz, there's a hearing on the master lease interim resolution extension slash modification. And there's a continuation of Speedcast International's confirmation hearing. On Thursday, January 21st, summary, hear me, summary hearing excuse me, in Lehman. And there's more for which I would refer you to our full calendar, which is available on the site. And that's all from me. Back to New York. And next up, here's Mark on Ashford, plus other REITs. Thanks, Raksha. So last week, REORG initiated coverage on hotel owner REIT Ashford Hospitality Trust. The company owns 102 hospitals, all secured, some individually and some combined, by $3.7 billion in mortgage loans with banks including J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America, to name a few. In April, Ashford ceased making principal and interest payments related to its mortgage loans as revenue plummeted and EBITDA turned negative. The company negotiated forbearance agreements on more than 70% of its loans. Terms of forbearance agreements typically included six-month interest deferrals, which helped the company preserve some liquidity. However, based on the company's recent disclosures, almost $1 billion of loans remain in default, and many of those forbearance agreements will result in the resumption of interest this month, and terms of the forbearance agreements would largely result in an increase of interest by about 50% for the next 12 months. According to analysis by Reorg, Ashford will burn about $13 million of cash per month before interest and $31 million after interest. To fund the shortfall, Ashford received a commitment for a new loan, which closed on Friday, for up to $450 million from Oak Tree, with an initial draw of $200 million. The loan does not come cheap in that it pays 16% for the first two years, reducing to 14% thereafter, and if the company borrows the final $100 million of additional delayed draw, that tranche would accrue at an annual rate equal to 18.5% for the first two years, reducing to 16.5% thereafter. 
Additionally, upon the earliest of the repayment and full of the loans, the final maturity of the loans under the credit agreement or the acceleration of the loans after an event of default, the lenders would be entitled to an exit fee of 15% or warrants for the purchase of 19.9% of common stock. So quickly on, Ashford, on how Ashford has negotiated with its lenders, take you back um, through last year. As I mentioned, they reached forbearance agreements with over 70% of lenders. Almost $1 billion of loans remain in default as of the last time the company reported late last year. And we'll see how those negotiations go uh, now that the Oak Tree loan is done. We've also seen some lenders accelerate and force sales or assignments of hotels. In total, almost 405 million of loans representing 13 properties across four lenders resulted in a sale or assignment. Probably the most recognizable of our Northeast to our Northeast listeners, in May, Starwood Properties sent an acceleration notice related to the Embassy Suites in Manhattan's Times Square. That was a 145 million dollar loan. Property did uh, about eight. $0.5 million of EBITDA in 2019, the property was sold to Magna Hospitality on August 19th for $143.9 million, so slightly less than the loan amount. Switching to a different set of REITs, we've seen a lot of activity late last year from the mall REITs. At Reorg, we cover CBL, Washington Prime Group, and Pennsylvania REIT. CBL remains in Chapter 11, and Kevin Eckhart spoke at length about that situation last week. I encourage everyone to listen. Pennsylvania REIT filed and emerged from bankruptcy late last uh, last year. Its plan reinstated secured property-level claims and unsecured loans received new secured debt. Equity remained untouched. Overall, debt remained about the same, but maturities were extended. After emergence, Preet said it would continue to transform its properties into multi-use sustainable districts with the execution of a rezoning agreement to allow for the addition of up to 1,065 multifamily units and a hotel at Morristown Mall. Together, with plans to add several thousand units across its portfolio through the sale of land to multifamily developers, pre-stentification program is expected to generate over $150 million in proceeds, which will serve as a new liquidity source and be used to reduce debt. According to the company, this is part of its strategic plan to diversify the mix of use at its mall sites with 5,000 to 7,000 apartment units and several hotel sites, according to the release, of which the company is in the final stages of delivering 3,500 apartment units in an initial phase. Quote, like many of Preet's Philadelphia and D.C. area properties, Morristown Mall is ideally situated for a residential community with tremendous access to roadways, along with over 13 million square feet of office space in the trade area. The first phase of the project is expected to deliver 375 residential units and a hotel. This initial phase will allow for Preet's second multifamily development following the completion of 350 units at Exton Square. Pre currently anticipates it will close on the sale of the initial parcel parcel in 2021 for $8 million. So that's a run through of a couple of different types of REITs, uh, hotel REIT, Ashford, and uh, the retail um, mall REITs that we cover. So uh, we'll stay tuned with those. A lot of other REITs that we continue to pick up coverage on at Reorg, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Thanks. And uh, New York, back to you. Thanks a lot, Mark. And thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find our podcast on the Reorg.com media page, iTunes, SoundCloud, and again, Spotify. Hope you and your families are healthy and safe, and we will see you next Sunday.